Boss Uncaged is a weekly podcast that releases the origin stories of business owners and entrepreneurs as they become uncaged trailblazers. In each episode, our hosts, S.A. Grant and guests construct narrative accounts of their collective business journeys and growth strategies. Learn key success habits and how to stay motivated through failure, all while developing a boss uncaged mindset. Break out of your cage and welcome our host, S.A. Grant. Welcome, welcome back to Boss and Cage Podcast. Today we got a special guest. And you know, I like to deem whoever I'm interviewing by a particular name. So in this episode, I'm going to deem this individual the podcast boss. So without further ado, Graham, why don't you tell our audience a little bit more about yourself? Thank you, man. I'm very privileged to be called the podcast boss and from the boss himself. That's what I do. I podcast. I help companies podcast. I help some of the world's largest organizations create podcasts, companies like McKinsey, IBM here in Asia, as well as some government agencies, investment banks, people you typically wouldn't think would do podcasts. It would naturally be storytellers or out there in the public domain, but that's what we do, as well as helping entrepreneurs tell their stories. It's really about storytelling. So it's all about telling your story on your terms in a very human and authentic way. And I've been doing that for years and it just so happens now it's a thing called podcasting, which people are paying for. So delighted to be here on a podcast with a fellow podcaster. Looking forward yes. to this. Yeah, I'm actually looking forward to it as well. I mean, I think you kind of alluded to a couple of things. I mean, right now, like we were talking about the time code differences, because I mean, I think you're like 10, 11 hours ahead. You're in Singapore. And I just really want to kind of like dive into like that story. I mean, you had an opportunity within like the last 10 years. You, you, you threw everything out. You sold everything. And then you decide to grab your family and travel the world. So let's kind of just jump off with that. Like, like, what was that experience like? It's an adventure. Let me put it that way. That if you, you see, one thing you learn about when you are living out of a suitcase, mm. as much as it's glamorous, you know, going on vacation, that you really are living by virtue of your, you know, your, story your hands and what you have right in front of you you don't own anything effectively mm -hmm. so the highs are very high in that kind of life you're you're living on tropical islands amazing sunsets and you're, you're very free but at the same time your lows are very low mm -hmm. you don't have that safety net you don't have that connection with a community that you would have necessarily you know maybe in georgia atlanta or you may wherever you grew up or wherever you're birth community wars or your college friends or your work colleagues hmm. so that that sort of isn't there so it's a bumpy ride uh, but it's an amazing one i think i would recommend it to only somebody who firstly you've got to have a very stable relationship with your wife mm -hmm. that will really test it and your family and you you really need to know what you're doing when you're doing it that going and traveling around the world for four years as we did is it's a real challenge and it really challenges you in many ways you know it really just pulls you in many different angles hmm. and makes you reassess what it is to be an entrepreneur and views on, the, you know, commonly held views about success. Nice. So let's continue to keep painting this. I mean, obviously we're both storytellers in a sense, right? So on this journey, I think you also had an opportunity to, to train for a marathon and it wasn't just any kind of marathon. Let's just kind of dive into that. So not only did you pick up your family and you're traveling the world, not only are you an entrepreneur, there's a little side of an adrenaline junkie in you as well. Yeah. Are you a sporty guy? You, you're into yeah. like crazy challenges? 
Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm a rock climber by nature. I, I love climbing rock. Oh, yeah. So recently, I picked up sailing, so I'm also a sailor now as well. All right. So you like the adrenaline? You like the edge a little bit? Rock climbing? Yeah. I was never really good at that, but that 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 appeals to me. I like that kind of being on the edge a little bit. I did in the Iron Man, which is, mm. uh, it's uh, a swim, bike, and it finishes with a marathon. So one of the things I always wanted to do as a bucket list. Uh, item on my list was to complete an Ironman. Mm. And I just turned, I was on the wrong side of 40 at the time, just turned. And in part of our travel plans, we were going to go and check out all these islands to live and just take it easy for four years. Mm. And uh, one of the things we ended up doing was going to the Canary Islands. Now, the Canary Islands are off the west coast of Africa. They're part of Spain politically, Mm. but geographically, they're right off the west coast the horn right so you've got um effectively the the climate of africa but the culture of europe which is like a strange mix and it's it's volcanic but you can go there and and do the ironman there because it's a great place and all the pros go there all the athletes go there so i pitched my wife on this idea why don't we go and live there and for a while this was like 18 months and I could train for the Ironman because I can actually live with the pros. You know, you could go out cycling and they will be on the road. You know, some of the world champions would be out on the same roads as you. And, you know, you could get to learn the course. And fortunately, she said yes. So, yeah, it was a, it was an experience. I think you've just got to do some crazy things in your life, right? Why not? It's not a rehearsal. Yeah, yeah, Definitely. So, I mean, with that, I mean, I was just kind of laying down the the, the, the the ground floor for, for our listeners to kind of really understand, like, you know, parts of who you are and a little bit of your journey. So in self-defining yourself, right, if you could mm. choose three to five words, what three to five words would you use to define who you are? Hmm. That's a good question. Let me think about this. Well, the first one has to be storyteller mm. because that I feel is a craft. And it touches many things. You're an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. I'm an entrepreneur. We shared spirits in the sense that we tell stories. So one, storyteller. Two, adventurer. Because you can go through life as a traveler or a tourist. Mm-hmm. You take your pick. Do you want to look at the world through the window of a coach? Or do you want to be getting lost in the back streets? Mm-hmm. You know, that's the choice that we can make in life, right? Entrepreneur. Because that is how I make my money. And that's the path we've chosen, both. And imagine your listeners as well. Many of them have chosen that path as a conscious choice. Mm-hmm. Author, because I love to write. That's four. I have to nice. think of a fifth one. <laughs> is that necessary? Can I get away with four? No, no four, four is definitely fine. I mean, again, to your point, I mean, we're, we're just layering it. I look at, I look at these uh, conversations as like paintings. You kind of have to put the base coat and you put a layer on top and then you just right. details so yeah. you get the finished product. So, just to dive into like your business a little bit. So, I mean, obviously you're an entrepreneur, you're a world traveler, and you have these different aspects to your life, and they're all entangled into one person. Mm. You're taking these life experiences and you're delegating them in a fashion that you can help other businesses. Like you said, you named a couple Fortune 500 companies. You're also helping entrepreneurs in, in, in this journey as well. Like, like, how do you do that in your business? Like, I mean, you're talking about podcasts. What are you actually doing with podcasts? Mm. So we have an agency, a podcast production agency, which will take 
a an idea and turn it into a successful podcast. Yeah. Now, there's a lot of work, as you know, that goes into that. It looks easy, but the actual hard part isn't necessarily the production. Mm. It's the promotion, the audience growth. It's really making it a success because production is becoming a lot easier with podcasts now. Mm-hmm. What's becoming harder is getting people's attention and creating compelling content as well because a lot of brands start from the perspective of, oh, this is what I want to talk about. But actually, it never starts like that or should start like that. It should always be, what does your audience want to hear? Mm-hmm. So there's always a gap between where a brand starts and what is a success. And a key part, increasingly a part of what we do, a major part of what we do is helping them grow at that audience, that podcast, whether that means increasing their rankings or growing the community around their podcast. Because we've gone beyond the days where you could just have a podcast and you've got an audience, right? Those days are gone. And now the production values are going up and the competition is getting harder on the platforms as well. So that's what we do. We take an idea and turn it into a successful podcast. So that is what we do mainly here in Asia. And we're behind. We're about three or four years behind you guys, I think, in the US. So every conversation you've had about podcasts four years ago, we're having now. Wow. You can imagine. The uphill. I mean, I think that that gives you kind of a, not only a head start, but it gives you more of an unfair advantage in that market sector because you mm. have something to model after and to see what's working, what's not working, and then bring that culture up to speed. So you're always a leading provider in that space. Is that a true statement? Mm. It is. Yeah, I think it's a good analysis. However, the caveat is that you have to stay solvent long enough to be able to do that because you in the US, you're enjoying larger budgets, much more mature markets, and growing audiences, right? Mm-hmm. And that now has become a commercial um, viability. However, in Asia, it's now a case where there isn't a wondery, there isn't those sort of high production serial type podcasts that you have in the US. They don't have a Joe Rogan yet, even though everybody knows Joe Rogan here. And so the consciousness of what podcasts are isn't there yet that collective understanding isn't there so people the people who are doing it are pioneers there isn't a mass market you don't have like in the u.s you would have a lawyer doing a podcast or a dentist doing a podcast Um, you don't have that here here it's you know a few american hqs and then a few pioneers and that's it so to your point your analysis is spot on the challenge now is sticking around because you know you could be the one that educates the market for somebody else later on right that's always the risk of front running the market and you know the reason why it's worth doubling down on asia is numbers four billion people think about that yeah lots of numbers those numbers add up and that's what we're in the game for because you know you've got the world's largest middle class here two-thirds of the world's middle class will be living in asia by the end of this decade right think about that So they will be consuming podcasts and they will be, you know, targets for people through podcasts for brands, right? So that's really exciting, but you have to hang on long enough. 
Yeah, I think I think I mean all the all the analytic data that you just presented with us. I mean, it kind of gives any entrepreneur, any podcaster, universally an opportunity to kind of really think about that. To your point, four point four billion. I mean, podcast is hmm. a numbers game. So in the U.S., it's three hundred million, four point four billion. It's a it's a nine and eight difference in in those numbers. So going into that, like, I mean. What other hurdles have you had to face? I mean, I think there's probably a, a language barrier to a certain extent, mm -hmm. right? And, and you're talking to business owners that could be A-type personalities, no matter where you are in the world. So what is the worst experience you've had in developing a podcast with a client to date? The worst experience. The worst experience, yes. <laughs> oh, where do you start? So well, there's been a few. It's been a learning experience, and I can't name names, obviously. Yeah, it's unfair. They're not here to defend themselves. And, and to be honest, it was mainly my mistake and our team's mistakes. Mm -hmm. I think at the beginning, we didn't really know um, what a podcast should be or how it could be or read the market very well. In 2018, when we started our agency, when I moved from Japan to Singapore to start the business, then it really was, okay, I'm doing podcasting. Who's interested? We didn't know anything about how do you price it? We didn't know about how do you make it success? So one of our early clients, I won't name them, but they're a large software company, yeah. wanted to use the podcast to sell software. So they wanted to sell subscriptions. And at the early days, we take anything. So we took the deal, but it ended up being um, a little bit of a, a miscommunication. Let's just put it that way, a fallout because Listen, if you want to sell software, do Facebook ads, do Instagram ads. Mm -hmm. Don't do a don't do a podcast. Podcasts are about connection. They're about top of funnel. They're about you know driving acquisition of high end ticket items. Mm -hmm. Right, they're more of a conceptual sell. So that was a really hard learning experience for us, right? Because you know the client was disappointed very much, even though the, the podcast was really good. It was just not delivering them the ROI. And that is the problem. If you sell a podcast and that podcast is now run by a marketing manager, what are they going to say? They're going to say, oh, how many widgets can I sell with this thing? That's all they're thinking about, which is very different from pitching it to a leader or a CEO, right? Mm -hmm. Because they'll do it because they understand this is about story. It's about top of funnel and shaping that narrative all the way down. Mm -hmm. And that I didn't know at the beginning. And that was a failure. I don't think it was a disaster. There's always something good that came out of it. Gotcha. I, I definitely appreciate that. Cause I mean, not only are you defining and telling the story, but it gives an opportunity for a listener to comprehend that podcasting to your point is top of funnel. It's not necessarily mm. going to be the gold mine results to where you speak and I sell a product and then you get a million sales. It's about nurturing that audience. And it's more of a longer holding of that on. It's not just come in and purchase and leave. It's come mm. in and listen week or day after day after day and raising their hands and communicating and building that culture. So I definitely appreciate you like adding that because I mean, that, that's what really podcasting is all about. Mm. Would, you, would you concur with that? Yeah, absolutely. And the high-end ability to sit and have a conversation with a potential business partner, mm -hmm. a potential advocate. You know, after this podcast, I'll be telling people about Boss Uncaged, right? So I'm a fan. You think about that as your marketing department now. And then also, let's think about it in terms of business development. If you're a boss, if you're a CEO, if you're a leader, you're the 
top sales guy. You have to be like, we all live by selling. If you're a CEO, you're, you're the main salesperson in that business. Whether or not you think of yourself as a salesperson is different, but you are selling the business day in, day out. Even when you're emptying the trash, right? You're still the top sales guy. And that is really important because, you know, I've sat with a leads effectively prospects who would have been impossible to meet who'd impossible to knock on the doors of. Mm. But I sat with, I sat in my podcast I had, I sat with two billionaires and I had meetings with them, did podcasts with them. And I did business with both of them afterwards as a result of the podcast. Now, when people ask me about the ROI on podcasts, I say, look at that. Now, there is no way that you could have sat with the CEO of AirAsia, who, you know, is probably one of the, he, he's the equivalent of a Mark Cuban mm. in Asia do a podcast with someone like that and then win business with his brand. And I always point to that and say, that to me is the ROI. All the other stuff is a bonus as well. Yeah, absolutely top of funnel. But there's the hard evidence of what you can do in acquisition with a podcast if you use it properly. Yeah, I, I 100% agree with you. And, and I looked at some of that, that video with you interviewing him and I want people to, when they get opportunity, obviously to go to your brand. We'll get to the point that the podcast will we'll do some promotion for you. But I want people to look at that particular video and like you started off that video more so in a conversation. It wasn't just diving into me, potatoes. You was asking him about his workout routine, right? And mm. you would think like you have an opportunity to talk to an executive. I want to hear numbers. I want to hear a strategy. But you started mm. off a lot smoother and kind of went in through the back door, asked him about his, his workout routine. Then he was kind of like, well, it's going, you know, it, losing weight was always been an issue for me. And that kind of opens up the door for like the tension levels to drop and for you to kind of just ease in and then get to the meat and potatoes later. So I definitely mm. appreciate your style of storytelling because it's, it's intuitive in the sense that it's giving the person opportunity to grow into you. And I see why you did business with them because you didn't just jump off the bat and start attacking them about the general information about how did he get, how did he become the CEO of such a large corporation? Mm. Yeah. One thing I thought about when I reflect on that interview, that conversation, I guess, and you, you talk about the style of the conversation, the flow, is somebody like Tony Fernandez, as an, who the CEO of AirAsia is, is, and he's a maverick. He's like a Mark Cuban, as you know, that sort of style who is very brash, very outspoken. And somebody like him could appear anywhere. He could be on any media he wanted to be in. So why would he choose to be on a podcast? And I thought about that. And one of the reasons is for exactly what you talked about is that he could talk and tell his story in his own words. And if you imagine, if you are a celebrity entrepreneur, that probably one of the hardest things about being in that situation is that you're always putting on an act. You're always performing. You're always, whether that's for the shareholders or for the media or for your immediate reports that always you're having to put this face on, but yet you can sit in a podcast and have this man-to-man conversation and just be yourself. And I think that must be very liberating. Mm-hmm. And you see that, you see this kind of media developing today where stars are doing very normal things like in the back of the car, singing karaoke, all that kind of nonsense, right? But if you think about it, why, why are people doing this? It's because I think stars, celebrities want to tell their story on their terms. Mm-hmm. They want, they want to be surrounded by people who call them Mr. Fernandez and, you know, with too much reverence. They want somebody to speak to them at the equal level. And for them, it's very much 
a, a rarity. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I was reading Barack Obama talking about his, um, you know, what, how fame affected him. And he said, one thing I really missed about being the president was just sitting in Central Park and just watching people walk by. You know, that, that was the thing I missed the most because, you know, he couldn't do that anywhere. He was, he was right. like a celebrity. Mm-hmm. And you can imagine now to give them that back, how, that's what podcast does. It's, it's liberating for these people. And people think when they approach these CEOs and these grand titles that, oh, you know, like, I don't know if I can speak to that, you know, that, that billionaire or that celebrity, but you've got to think about what you're offering them that they can't get anywhere else. And I think that is overseen in podcasts. I think I think that that's a solid point, and and I think in today's world, we, you see you start to see that more and more with the CEOs. A prime example is um, Facebook Mark, right? Mm. If you look at Mark's profile within like the last six months, it's funny because the comments are like, "You're human. Like, how is this possible?" Right? Because he's posting random information about him and his family. He's posting information about things that he likes to do. He's actually playing Halo. It was like. This is Mark playing Halo, and everyone's kind of like, Mark is playing Halo. What the hell is the world coming to? Like, <laughs> this is when did Mark Love start it. using his own product? But it goes to your point. I mean, you want to show more of your human side. You just want to be able to, like you said it with Obama, be able to go to Central Park and sit down, and unfortunately, mm. you can't. So you have to use these platforms in order to get that extra that you would have before that you don't have access to anymore. And I think that's a solid point. I definitely appreciate you mm. adding and sharing that, definitely. Do you so, think when you when you saw the Mark Zuckerberg mm-hmm. post, did you feel authentic? Did you feel genuine or did you feel it was staged? Well, I think because of Mark, I think Mark is at the, the, the pinnacle point of his career, right? I mean, he's not mm. 20 years old no more. He's kind of creeping up more and so in the 40s. And he's kind of where if we go back to Microsoft and looking at what those executive board members were doing at that point, I think he's at that point, he's done so much. He's a Mm. multi-billionaire. He's in the top 1% of the 1%. There's only so much more he can kind of do. Now he kind of wants to live and enjoy his life. So I think it's a genuine effort, but it's going to take the the user audience a period of time to really believe that's really doing these things. It's probably going to take, you know, kind of like podcasting. You have to kind of do it routinely, Hmm. for a period of time to to own up to that skill set and to actually get into your your zone into your groove so i think he's building up to that i don't think he's there yet but by this time next year if he continues to do it i think people are going to be like oh this is mark he does it all the time yeah that's a great thing though if he can get to that stage and it's believable because surely that must be liberating for him right yeah yeah definitely definitely so let's talk a little bit more about um just i'm just trying to it's like i love this conversation because it's it's so organic in nature right but i really want to dive more into like your company structure a little bit so Mm. you're you're helping podcasters on journeys but Mm. in in this right you've had to figure out the formula earlier on in this this episode you were talking about you had some hurdles you had to overcome those hurdles so systematically now you have a system in place you figured out Mm. pricing you figured out like logistics you figure out the steps and procedures like what systems do you have when somebody comes to you that you put in place to get them from point a to point B. Hmm. Yeah, a good process is really important here because effectively, if you can reduce the cost of servicing a client with good operations, then you can, firstly, you can focus more time on that client and obviously it's more profitable. Mm-hmm. So having good process is really important. And that means having good data and good metrics 
So we're quite obsessive with metrics for a small company. We'll track everything. We'll track, for example, the time to deliver. So we have like a TTD metric, mm -hmm. which is imagine, for example, we were Amazon warehouse and you were tracking when the order was made, when the order was picked in the warehouse and then when it was out the door into the delivery van. Now that's a process which seems to be quite simple, but actually it's extremely complicated because where is that order right now? Mm. Oh, somebody's picked this order, but it's somewhere in the warehouse and there's something missing and that guy's on vacation today, right? You can imagine how difficult that becomes as you scale. It's easy when it's all in your head or it's in your engineer's head, but then you have this situation where we need to get it out because as long as it stays in our heads and we don't have a visual of it, we cannot scale this business. So one of the challenges we had early on was creating visuals. And this is something I learned from Amazon, which was a visual display of your business at any one time. So if you were in the warehouse business, you could see where a package was at any particular time. This parcel is in zone D and it's being shipped tomorrow. In the same way, we can see at any one time where an episode is, what's happening to it. So is it in editing? Is it in review? Is it being shipped? Is it being published, et cetera, in that stage, that sequence? And it may sound obsessive, but a number of things happen when you have these really good systems in place. Firstly, you can see where the choke points in your business are, right? So why are we taking three days for review? Why is it taking this amount of time to move from one step to the next step in the system, in the process, right? And the second thing is, is like once you can understand times and you can understand the the data about your business, you can also understand the cost truly because a small business, so much of it is hidden cost. Mm -hmm. For example, you can take on a gig, you can take on a client, you can take on a service, but actually they may be very costly to you. And those are hard truths that you have to face. And what I found and what we found in the business, I'm sure your experience may be the same, is that actually to grow a business, it's not about taking on more and more, but it's increasingly about saying no to things. Well, what do I say no to? Because then you can say, okay, we don't do that kind of podcast. We don't do that kind of client. And you can only say that when you've got the data. So a very important part of any small business to grow is having a system and the system relies on process and data and you've got to get obsessive about it. You've got to think like Jeff Bezos, you know, even if you're a two man startup, you've got to think about everything in terms of visuals and dashboards because only then it becomes not an issue to hundred X that, right? Because if it's an issue every time, for example, if you take on a client, and by virtue of taking on a client, you create a lot of cost and overload in your business. Subconsciously, you'll then avoid taking on more clients because you'll only associate more clients with hassle and work and heartache. So that's a key part of it. And I feel that's something I've learned in my later years. But in fairness, in the early days when I started as an entrepreneur in the 90s, we didn't have that kind of data. But now we do, which is great. You can build dashboards, you can use tools like Gecko Board and Google Sheets mm. works perfectly. Yeah, I mean, I could definitely hear like 
like the passion in the way you're you're you're, you're telling these answers, right? And it 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 shows that you've been in the trenches for a long period of time. Like something like that is something that evolves from a person. It doesn't just happen overnight. So, and I think in the last part of what you said, you, you're talking about like the period of time, right? So mm. as a listener to a podcast or a listener to this show, I may be hearing him like, this guy's great. Like he's influencing me. I want to, I want to call him. I want to become a podcaster and I want to become an overnight success. But in reality, how long have you been on this prosperous journey? Ah, uh, that's a lot. Yeah. It's an interesting question. Well, um, Let's think about, you know, how long have I been in the business of storytelling? Probably about 20 years. So, you know, even if you think about telling your story, yeah. when one part of what I do, a lot of presentations, a lot of speaking, I do my podcast, like yourself, I interview people. That has taken many, many years to practice. And it's like Steve Jobs said, you know, it's looking back, joining the dots. You only really understand later on when you can look at what you do and make sense of it. You know, the reality is I graduated with an AI degree in 1995. Shows you how old I am. But artificial intelligence in 1995 was not what it is today. Yeah. So, you know, today I'll be like Google, I'll be the Facebook guy. Yeah. You know, I would be taking any job that I wanted if I graduated now with that degree. But back then it was very different. So when I graduated with that, I didn't have the kind of prospects that I thought that that knowledge would bring me so it's been a 25 year journey of all these sort of very disparate in events or chapters in my life there was artificial intelligence then i had a telecoms communications business which we grew really successfully then i spent four years traveling the world then i you know i started this podcast business and you look at all of that and put it together and go that doesn't make sense but the one thing I'll say to your listeners is that one of the beauties of doing a podcast and guesting on podcasts, great podcasts like this one, or talking to people on podcasts or listening to podcasts is practicing your story. It, and the more you practice, the more you refine it. And the more you refine it, the more you join the dots because it doesn't make sense until you keep telling that story. And I had this really good example of it which really inspired me is from a completely different field, Kevin Hart. So Kevin Hart said about his strategy, he has a very defined strategy for his comedy, which you don't see, right? He just kind of looks like this fun like, guy who's just like everybody's friend type of thing. But what he does is this, he has a two-year plan. And what he does is for year one, he goes out and he gigs at every single dive club out there. You know, the clubs with like 10 guys and they're drunk and throwing bottles and heckling and stuff. He'll do them, even though he's like Kevin Hart, the multimillionaire, right? He'll go out and do all of those. And he'll do that for a year and face the brutal feedback and that real sort of right-in-your-face audience and read them and understand every time he does that joke, does it work? Mm. Feedback, get the data, iterate. And then what he'll do is year two, he'll take all the best material from year one of practice and he'll go to the stadiums and he'll do the DVD specials and so on and the Netflix specials. Mm -hmm. So it's a bit of a diversion, but the point is, is that that's what I call agile storytelling. 
you know, we talk about agile in business, like this lean iterative process. Mm. And I recommend it for all entrepreneurs because the more you go out there, the more you tell your story, the more you practice and the dots come together and you develop these, like a comedian, you develop this scene, this skit, this brick that you're building this wall with, right? And that's that one brick. So if you ask me about AI, I could tell you that story. If you ask me about Japan, I could tell you that story. If you ask me about Iron Man, I could tell you that story. Mm. And I believe this is how freestyle rappers were. I'm not a freestyle rapper. I wouldn't even claim to be. But how do they go and how do they develop these amazing uh, you know, bars and rhymes which seem to come out of nowhere if you just give them a word and they're away, right? Mm. It's the same process. They're kind of going down a maze mentally and they can see where they're going with these stories and join the dots with it. And life is like that. Life is very much about how do you join the dots on this? But you only get to do that when you put yourself out there on stage effectively, face the moment of truth. So you asked me a short question. I gave you a very long answer. The point is years and years and putting it together and it only comes together like a book. You know, you never really understand it until you get to the last chapter. Hopefully this is not my last chapter, mm -hmm. but the point is, is you need to get out there and get agile and face the moment of truth. And it starts to make a lot of sense. I think that that's a phenomenal answer because it not only tells your story, but you also gave a very clear example of what Kevin Hart does. And to your point on the agile side of things, it's almost like a segmentation to where you have to, target down and to the kevin analogy that you made he's targeting down to the worst possible denominating audience the audience that's going to give him the most crap for whatever they don't like him so if he could subdue that audience then he knows for a fact that content would then mm. appeal to the masses even more greater and it, it shows i mean in the like to your point i remember when kevin first started kevin was kind of like a B-lister. He was in all these random mm. movies. He was always in the background. He'd always be like this weird, quirky guy. And then all of a sudden, the overnight success happened. And then he was everywhere. And he was on every platform, on every media outlet, including podcasts, including television, Netflix originals. So it, it kind of tells that he harnessed his craft to the point to where he could execute it and scale it. And mm. I definitely appreciate you bringing that to the table. I mean, it definitely... It, it brings those pieces to the puzzle, like you were saying, all together to make this cohesive system that now mm. is fruitful. So, I love uh, that word craft as well. I think you nailed it with that. Yeah, yeah. That people don't see that. They don't see the, the 10,000 hours that that guy mm -hmm. put in mm -hmm. because he was doing the graveyard shifts, right? The B movies. Yeah, it was. It was. It's definitely. So, I mean, just, just, just look at it from, from your standpoint. I mean, obviously you had AI, you, you've traveled the world, and, and I think it, it works, right? I mean, you started AI early enough to where now you could probably come into new AI platforms and be more mm. effective because you understand the principles of AI. So that kind of goes to like your marketing, your strategy, and your systems. In today's world, you have a leg up on probably a lot of your competitors that they are still trying to even comprehend AI. So if mm. time travel was possible, right? If you could go back in time, anywhere in your past 25 years of this career to where you are right now, what's one thing that you'd want to change if you could do it all over again? Hmm. So I can go back, change anything. Any, just one thing, period. Oh, there's so many options. Where do you start? And I don't know. I mean, I could give you the very cliched answer that, oh, well, I wouldn't be here if 
all of those things didn't happen. But that said, there's lots of things that I would like to do again or do better. You know, you always have that in your mind. I don't know. I don't have a, a, a direct answer for that. I think one of the things I have learned, and maybe this is a long way around to the answer, mm-hmm. is that when I started in business, so I started my first business in 1998. Correct. And at that time, really, there wasn't a lot of resources to start a business back then. So our first ever business was a website design company and we would go and knock on doors of travel agents and you know small businesses high street businesses and say to these guys like do you want a website (laughs) and these days you can make money doing that and i remember one company they said to me that i don't want any of this fancy stuff and by the way fancy stuff back in 1998 was like you know spinning gifts and like gray backgrounds (laughs) they didn't want any of that they want they said look Graham, this is our brochure. Scan that. You've got one of those scanner things, that new technology. Like, take that, scan that, and that's our website. And they paid us to scan like six pages of their brochure and put it directly on the website. And I was telling a friend about it, and he goes, Yeah, you can go out there and sell that. Call it brochureware. And so we went out, knocked on the doors of these companies selling brochure. I mean, really, it was a sham, really. But that's how it was back then. People were buying this stuff. And I guess, like, so if I could change anything, it would be this, is that I didn't have any kind of advice. I didn't know how to run a business. Nobody in my family, we were like a working class family. The only people that had their own businesses around me were, you know, gas plumbers and you know the manual workers or hairdressers you know you didn't have entrepreneurs or those kind of people who had access to capital then so i didn't have the advice i didn't have the mentoring i didn't have that somebody who could say to me graham don't do that or you're going to spend two years doing this thing if you do it this way you can do it in two months so i spent a lot of time and wasted a lot of money finding out myself now i don't know if that was a good thing in the long run but if i could go back and change it would be that because it's what's the way isn't it you're much wiser now but back then i didn't have a clue what i was doing and it's laughable really but i could saved a lot of time if i had that kind of advice early on and that's why i say to anybody now if you're starting a business always good mentoring good advice surround yourself with good people surround yourself with people who are better than you who do, who lift your a game right but i don't have any of that and so it's tough you, then you're just kind of doing the random walk mm-hmm. trying to discover and bounce your way around to find answers right that's tough i think i think that, that's a hell of a story and i'm, I'm envisioning you wearing like a t-shirt that says i used to sell brochure wear <laughs> <laughs> you're the branding man you like to take some lessons from you right i can see that yeah, yeah definitely i just, I just see it it's just, and somebody would be like what, what the, somebody i can see somebody totally asking you it's kind of like a lead magnet running up to you and be like what, what the hell is, what is that and then you get to tell you them the some story. <laughs> you get to tell the story and lead them into your funnel. So I definitely, um, I see that. That's, that's definitely funny. Oh well. Uh, so I mean, I think you alluded to something that, that that's important. I mean, you know, you're saying that you don't come from an entrepreneurial background, but obviously mm. your your entrepreneurial savviness is profound. Like you figured it out to the point to where you are right now. So just just continue with the time traveling thing. 
like look back and do you know or do you could you recall anyone in your life that was an entrepreneur maybe not in your inner circle maybe in the secondary circle that you were looking mm -hmm. out to to be like oh, this guy is interesting or this gal is interesting maybe I, I want to be in that space do you recall any of that happening throughout your life not in my immediate circle they weren't those people and I, I searched them out i looked for them but they just weren't there and you know you go into your second cousins and your cousins cousins and nobody and yet I remember picking up a book. I must have been in my early 20s at the time. So after coming back from Japan the first time, going back to London, thinking I'm going to start a business. I didn't know what I was going to do, but I'm going to do something. Mm -hmm. And somebody told me, they were mentioning a book, and I went, to the, I went to Borders in those days when they had bookshops, and I sat in Borders at the time, and I was working at the time. I had a job as I came back to London, selling uh, pensions and life assurances on the phone. If you've seen that movie, Boiler Room, mm -hmm. it's like that, you know, where you're making, I had a boss who said to me, you can make a hundred, you know, you can make as many calls as you want, but if you make less than 120 a day, you're not going home. Mm -hmm. It was like one of those businesses you had a list and you just phone, 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 like a machine. It was soul destroying. So. I took off one afternoon and I sat in borders and I read this book. And in this book, I found all these stories, like really old fashioned entrepreneurs like Henry Ford and Onassis and Rockefeller, the real old school, because this was 1998 before anything that we know as the sort of modern generation. And I sat there and I thought, wow, this is the first time I've ever seen anything like this. It was like somebody opened the door to a room that never existed in my life. You know, I was reasonably well-educated, but I never knew that there was this idea that you could change your life. And until that point, I'd been living in this darkness, which was that I just did, even though I had this kind of energy to, you know, I was unsatisfied with things, that I had this understanding that, you know, I didn't have this knowledge that there were people who could create things, the people that could make stuff and grow businesses. And that was revelationary for me. And I that were, these were my mentors. So what I read in books, I became passionate about books. I read everything. You know, I read Tony Robbins and I read all these guys and absorbed them like crazy. You know, that became my education. Hmm. So I think a lack of those people made me really hungry for this stuff. And that's why, you know, even now doing podcasts, I get to meet people like yourself. Mm -hmm. I get to learn people, different cultures, different backgrounds. And I'm just a sponge for it, right? And I've never stopped. And I would advise anybody to do that. You know, if you don't read, start a podcast, listen to podcasts, mm. absorb the stories because those will change you. You know, you think about it, even with a book, think about it. You can buy something for $15 that could change your life. How about that? Mm. So, yeah, it's, you know, I, I love reading, but, you know, I just love, I think more importantly, I love stories of the people who have done interesting things in their lives. You know, that for me is priceless. I just listened to you and it's like, you have all, you're a ball of passion, a ball of energy. And obviously I think that, you know, you're doing all this for a reason and it has to be a why. So like my next question is kind of like diving into like your family a little bit, right? Like you have all these different factors and all these different things going on, multiple podcasts interviewing and traveling. You traveled the world with your family for four years. So how do you currently juggle 
like your family life with your work life? Hmm. Not easily. Yeah. I admit that it's tough. You make sacrifices and, you know, you are very conscious of time slipping away, right? So that is a big challenge, I think, for us entrepreneurs, the type A's. They're always rushing to the next point. We're always unsatisfied. And it's constant. It's this noise inside, this chatter inside your skull. It just It's constant. And you're constantly pushing and striving. And that's an energy which is a blessing and a curse. Because it, it's a blessing because it's the fire that drives you and inspires people and gets you off in the morning. And it's the curse because, you know, you will see time fly by and you will not be able to stop and enjoy the moments you know so it's a real challenge for me i admit it's hard to turn off <laughs> it's, there's no off switch it, it's very difficult to have those moments when you can sit you know and enjoy you know where i live in singapore i can sit on the balcony see the sunrise come up in the morning wow. it's beautiful you know it's like warm it's in in your units it's like 80 degrees every day and to sit and enjoy that sunrise every morning but when I'm having my coffee in the morning, it's like, right, what could I do today better? Okay. So you have to kind of learn to detach because that will affect family. That will affect relationships. And before you know it, wow, I'm like, how, how old am I now? You know, I'm nearly 50. Mm -hmm. So you can imagine, I remember being 19, 20, like yesterday. You think, wow, that's just gone in the blink of an eye because you, you, you don't want to spend your whole life rushing through. Mm -hmm. So... I think that's the challenge. I haven't found the answer. I can't say I have the the hack, uh -huh. but maybe that's something I'll learn in my older, older age, uh -huh. like just how to slow down and enjoy things, right? But you always kind of feel that like you're building something. It's uh -huh. endless. Yeah, I mean, just listening to you speak, I think we have so many commonalities. I mean, like currently right now, I still own a web agency that's a marketing agency, kind of going back to your 98 right? Um, I'm also still like a licensed insurance agent that I've done maybe 10 years within the last 10 years that I just keep the license active. So I'm just listening to your story and I'm just like, check, check, check. It's like so many different. <laughs> <laughs> like, so how do you, what, what do you do to turn off? Like, how do you just unplug? Because I find it near impossible. Do you get those moments where you just kind of zen and it's like ding and like everything's kind of in place? What I've learned is just kind of like, I think for people like us, to your point, like we may be A-type personalities where we're always, once we achieve something, that is just a micro of, a, of something bigger to achieve later on. So I've just kind of in, ingrained my family in that. Like my, my wife, mm. she kind of, she loves writing, but by daytime, her trade is she's a treasurer. So I give her opportunity to kind of do copy editing and copywriting in, in my business. And like mm. with the kids, you know, every time I have opportunity to bring them to a convention or a seminar or a webinar, or if I have mm. a speaking engagement, I try to engulf them in that space because I want to influence them to understand like how great entrepreneurism is and there's highs and lows, but it gives you the freedom to live the life as you see fit. Mm. So I kind of bring them into that situation. I like, I don't really separate the two. It's kind of yeah. And then the off time, we may go have dinner, we may go bowling, but you better believe if I'm driving in the car, I'm going to put on an audio book, right? We may mm. have a conversation about a strategy that I, something, a book I'm about to get ready to release in the next couple of weeks. So they hear these conversations ongoing. So there's really no separation between the two in my mm. house. Yeah, that is spot on. That's the way to do it and bring them in because you could spend 20 years 
hustling and then they think yeah. what does daddy do and then it's 20 years they're, they're off they're gone to university and like you never really see them on those kind of terms again right yeah but the yeah. fact they've experienced it and for them that would be a, the best lesson you know they've seen their dad hustle and he's got a work ethic everything they learn in school would be secondary to those lessons that you teach them through how you mm. behave and the values that you have and how you think about business and life and work and everything yeah. they'll pick that up they'll just observe it and the fact they were part of it as well those would be lessons for life yeah that's that's the goal so i mean just listening to you speak i would think that you you're structured in a sense i mean obviously you've done an iron man and just you know i have a cousin that she runs iron man's right now and just listening to her daily routine her daily <laughs> regimen and she has to run five miles today five miles this afternoon she has to eat this so like what does your morning routine your morning habits look like Hmm. Yeah, you've got to be pretty structured. And I like structure. I like to have routines. I think I need routines because I need to bookend my day. Mm -hmm. So I'd get up in the morning. I will. One of the things I, I do now is I juice in the morning mm -hmm. because if I don't do it, I'll just get into bad habits during the day. You know, I'll start hitting the coffee and these kind of things. Mm -hmm. So I try to have my mini rituals. That, that helped me um, because when once work starts, once I'm at it, then it's very difficult to say, right, time out. I'm going to take two hours off. It doesn't work like that because I'm just like full into it. I'm in my world because I'm, I'm like, you know, in the studio, I'm recording, working with clients, bang, bang, bang. Some, you know, something happens, it's full on. So it's very difficult during the day to structure that. In the sense that, you know, I'm going to do at this time, this thing, this time, this thing. It's very structured in the sense that I have goals. Mm -hmm. There, I have metrics that I work towards, even on the personal metrics, for example. These are the things that I want to achieve this week. You know, I'll write, I have here in front of me, for those that can see on the video, uh, a very traditional paper-bound book, right? And a pen. And in that, you'll see, for example, what I want to achieve day by day. Mm -hmm. So these are the, you know, I'm not micro structuring my day mm -hmm. because that breaks. You know, I think that that is something that I've tried, you know, down to 15 minutes. I'm going to do this, going to do this, going to do this. But uh, over time you, you resist, mm -hmm. you push back and you break it. Now what does work is having that sort of meta level structure. So these are the goals I'm working towards. This is what I want to achieve today. And even sometimes if I don't do it, just writing it down as a good discipline to get it out of my head and to kind of speak back to myself. It's like journaling. Mm -hmm. So these are the most important things for me. I feel that helps me keep grounded. And then I'll have on, on a daily basis, I'll have my own metrics. Mm -hmm. So back to the Ironman stuff, I'll weigh myself every day at the same time. I put it in the journal. And if I work out, I'll make a log of everything that I do. You know, I've tried to do that with eating, but it, that kind of fails, that breaks because I forget. But the most things that I can, can look at are what I found. Yeah. For example, if you're tracking your weight, right, that what tends to happen is you remember what you're doing for this week, but four weeks ago when you were getting results, mm -hmm. what were you doing back then? then I, I don't know. You've got to go back and look at the logs. So I look at the logs and the logs will tell me, okay, that week I was doing short 15-minute high-interval training sessions. Mm. So that had an impact on my numbers, right? Yeah. 
so I find logging and journaling in that sense works really well. And it goes back to the same in business is that unless you can measure it, then you can't manage it. So in that sense, that those are my structures. That's about as structures as I get. I've tried to go really micro, but my mindset doesn't work on that. Gotcha. So I think earlier in this podcast, in kind of spinning off of your journaling, you, you talked about reading. And this is like one of my favorite questions that I ask because the answers that I get are so profound. And I take that information and I created a book club and it's called the mm. Boston Cage Book Club. And the goal of that book club is essentially to help entrepreneurs read a book per week, training their mind to read a book per week. So this next question I'm going to ask you, it's a three-part question. What books, and I know that you're, you're, you're very astute, and I can tell by, by, by the way you're, you're talking about like journaling, you're talking about the books that you've read earlier. What books mm. helped you on your journey to get to where you are? What books are you reading now? And what books have you authored? Wow. That's a very, I love that question. And I know with your book club as well that it's close to my heart and your heart. Mm. We're both passionate about this. So let's take that step by step. So what yeah. books have I read mm -hmm. that have helped me? Well, there's so many. You know, I, I would think maybe I would talk about the authors mm. that I'm passionate about. So one of the authors, I've followed virtually everything he's ever written, Seth Godin because I mean, he's a marketing author, but mainly aimed at small businesses. I think every small business and medium-sized business owner should read it because it's all about storytelling. Um, you know, everything from the purple cow to what have I written by him? This is marketing. So things like that. Mm -hmm. I've been um, fundamental in just shaping my ideas about, because he always used stories to impress points upon people in business. He didn't talk about marketing. He told about somebody who made Wedgwood China for example, pot, teapots, which was just like, you'd always remember it. Mm -hmm. And that got me thinking about this idea that, wow, that is how you convey information and engage people. Tim Ferriss, obviously, I mean, I've got spent, yeah, I've, I've read them more. Um, I don't think it's interesting. I don't think his writing is very good, mm -hmm. uh, but his concepts are spot on. You know, you could just look at the title of the book and then think, okay, I got, the main message out of that malcolm gladwell i think if i was to write like on his kind of level that would be for me you know uh, the peak achievement because he, he's an amazing writer and he writes very much in that sort of uh, you know journalistic style uh -huh. like, and i was very much inspired by that that whether it's blink or what did i re recently over here talking to strangers that's a great book by the way mm -hmm. i really enjoyed that talking to strangers is all about how we have difficulty reading people when we meet them that we think we know people and we don't really know them and that, that you can imagine for example how much of that problem is like with mm -hmm. id in police id parades or judging people like in court for example you think he looks like a nice guy he looks like an upstanding citizen mm -hmm. all those kind of like misreadings and miscarriages of justice and so on i mean the news is all about those these days right but that really sort of deep journalistic style is fascinated by so those are, i mean i'm just looking behind me those are mm -hmm. those are some great books that i've read i mean there's so many i've got kind of got into people like jocko willink recently yeah. you know like the extreme ownership um, I really like that concept. He was the Navy SEAL. 
that I really like the idea of this idea of extreme ownership, that take complete ownership of everything, oh. even when it's your people. Like, you know, if you're a leader and your people screw up, you are 100% responsibility, wow. responsible for that. And it's quite inspiring. So I've kind of got into that recently, but I've read so many books over the mm. years and everything to the more sort of spiritual stuff as well. But those are the more sort of tangible ones. Mm-hmm. Um, now, mm. what have I read recently? I've got into, I don't know if you've tried this, but I've just started over the last few weeks um, reading my books in audiobooks through Blinkist. Mm. I don't know if you tried this. Basically what Blinkist does is summarize books in 12 minutes in audio format. So I've been consuming a lot of books. Mm-hmm. And so I've been trying this out as a, as a way to kind of, how can I get inspired mm-hmm. by all these books? But here's the interesting thing is that I've listened to all these books, but I haven't remembered any of them. Mm-hmm. Isn't that fascinating, isn't it? That we think, oh, we can really, you know, shortcut the learning process here. Mm-hmm. But to me, it's just like ear candy. It didn't do anything. It just went straight through. Like, and it's all gone. It's just like background noise. So recently, uh, the last few weeks, I've been trying that. So I can't actually report anything because I don't remember anything that I've listened to on Blinkist. It's just been kind of like radio playing in the background to me. Hmm. Um, but I think the, in terms of books that have been published recently, hmm. Malcolm Gladwell's Talking to Strangers is the best that I've read. Yeah, what about yourself? Do you tell me, what have you got in your book club? There may be something that I've read from there. But... Man, it, it's... it's... Like I said, we have 52 books and the one that I keep rereading and I'm reading and, I, and to your point, I listen to audiobooks and I've learned that if I speed up the audiobooks based upon the speaking recognition of the person that's reciting the book, I can speed up anywhere from 1.5 to 2.0 and get that book down to three or four hours really quickly. But I'm listening right now to Russell Bronson's Traffic Secrets and I'm, I just keep uh-huh. re-listening and re-listening and I'm really big on listening, taking action, listening, taking action. But every time I re-listen to it, I'm just like, these principles are so simple and it's kind of like everyone's doing fragments of them and he's the first person that I see that kind of pick all the puzzle pieces and put it together and made a clear outline, a clear to do, a clear takeaway and a clear mm. end results of what you should be getting. So that's one book that like I, it came out in our book club maybe a couple of weeks ago and I've listened to it at least I'm on like the fourth or the fifth time right now. Traffic secrets. Click Traffic funnels guys, right? Click funnel guys. And it's just I mean yeah. it's, it's, it's funnels are just so simplistic when you really think about them it's kind of like why why are not why why are mm. people just not doing them? It's just it just makes sense. It just makes sense. The numbers don't make sense at first, but when you think about his principle mm. of a $10 book that's really for free shipping, you break even on that free shipping of that book mm. and then the upsell of the funnel, whether you're upselling it to the audiobook, you're upselling it to a $100 course that's going to help you execute the book, and then after that, it's a $299 masterclass that's going to help you yeah. fill your funnels with traffic. Don't You're breaking even only on the first front end part of the funnel, and everything else after that is sure profit so it just makes sense absolutely yeah i think tim i was reading in uh must have been tools of titans or tribe of mentors i can't remember which one because i I do review all my books and go back through them tim ferris was saying that give everything away free and then sell the other stuff at premium so mm-hmm. you're giving away or effectively very low price your book or your course mm-hmm. and then maybe you have your mentorship group and sell that for four figures right yep. so that's the kind of stuff that these guys can teach us right because they know how to do that and build funnels around it. yeah i'll check that one out that's a great yeah. one definitely definitely 
So just, just I mean, since we're talking about like click funnels and it essentially as a platform, I mean, obviously as a podcaster, there are a million different platforms and software mm. and automations and systems in place. So what software would you recommend that you use on a daily day basis that you wouldn't be able to do what you do without? Hmm. As a podcast agency? Yeah. Yeah. Like, the, I mean, obviously, I mean, it's probably like a long list, but like, what's the, the primary mm. two or three that you would not be able to do what you're doing, helping yourself and helping clients if you didn't have access to this platform? Um, okay. Interesting. So there's a couple. Mm. Um, one is on the operational side, Zapier. Nice. Which is an automation software. Are you familiar with that? Oh, yeah. 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 It's, it's, it's the bloodline to a lot of companies in today's market. Uh, yeah, so it's uh, it, you can really get into it. I think the usability of it's pretty poor, to be honest. I have to say, but it's a bit clunky. But if you're technical, I'm quite technical. It, it works fine for me. The power of what you can do with that, if you can go beyond the sort of very basic entry level zaps. So basically, for those listening, Zapier is an automation software. It connects the pipes of the internet, so you can can, for example, get an email and from that email look up a spreadsheet get details of somebody and then send out another email back. Mm -hmm. And then that can connect with maybe another piece of software like ClickFunnels, right? Mm -hmm. So you can have all these systems tied up and then you can add in webhooks, for example, and make it a little bit more interesting where you can have mm -hmm. different sequences firing stuff. So Zambia, I think, is important for us mm -hmm. because it allows us to do a lot of heavy lifting. Mm -hmm. Right. So the best use of Zappy, you can do all the automation stuff like the really bot like zaps, mm -hmm. but I don't think that they're scalable long term because it's a bit of a myth that you can create this automation, contact 10,000 people and get results. Mm -hmm. What you can do is you can effectively take workflows you're doing already. For example, that you send this document to a client and then you update a piece of data in a sheet. And then you send a reminder, a Slack message to your colleague all in one workflow. Mm. Those work really well. So that I think we cannot live without Zapier. Mm. And then on the podcast side, one tool which has really come of age is Descript, which is actually semi-editor, semi-AI machine learning translation. But the good part about the machine learning translation is of course, you can transcribe your podcast. The transcriptions aren't very good, like machine learning transcriptions are about 92, 93% accurate, but seven or 8% inaccuracy is actually a lot of work. You know, it means you might as well just do it yourself. You've got to go through and check everything. So like all ML translations, transcriptions, sorry, uh, Descript is reasonably accurate, but not accurate enough. But what the beauty of Descript is, is that you can transcribe your podcast, but not use it for transcription. You could use the transcription as effectively your timestamps. You could look through cut content. So I know that bit where Graham says this, I can see it visually instead of a waveform. I can see he's talking about this part and then I can cut exactly that and move it around. And I feel that that's the future of podcast editing. Mm -hmm because it allows you to tighten up and create more narrative style podcasts. You could do voiceovers a lot easier and you can mix and match your podcast around. So I think that that tool is, is still in its infancy, mm -hmm. but in time 
that is going to become a game changer for a lot of people because it turns your visual wave audio, like whether you use Audacity or Audition podcast into something where you can actually see meaning in words. And that is really exciting because it speeds the whole process up. So there's a couple off the bat that I recommend. And I think both of those that you recommended, they both pull into your your AI background just a little bit, like understanding the artificial intelligence side mm. and utilizing these platforms to execute the systems. And to, like, you, like you said, I mean, you're not talking about one layer zaps. You're talking about multi zaps to do do this, then do that. If then, then do this, then do that. And it becomes a train reaction of things that happen. That way you don't have to put yourself or somebody else's manpower to execute those particular things. So I have to definitely see that AI side of you coming out. And let's not forget Google Sheets. Yeah. <laughs> Good old spreadsheets that these are really underutilized. Mm-hmm. That if you know, for example, how to use, not so much on the app script side of Google Sheets, but for example, if you know like really powerful formula to use inside mm-hmm. Google Sheets, for example, you can do queries. That's something I've learned in the last few years. Like you can take data from one sheet and yes. spit it out on another sheet with a query, which actually filters everything as if it was a, a SQL query. Mm. Getting a bit technical, but basically it means that you can share one sheet with somebody else, which filters everything so they don't get access to changing the sheet or data that you don't want them to get access to. Mm. To me, that's very powerful. You can share that with a client. You can share it with a teammate. Or if you've got, like everybody seems to have today, outsourced freelancers, Mm-hmm. Let's say you've got outsourced freelancers building a list for you of Upwork. You want them to share one piece of data, but you don't want them to access everything else. So you could do that through Google Sheets using, you know, functions which exist now, queries. So, you know, looking to those rather than buying like really fancy software, there's a lot mm-hmm. of potential in that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I like that you brought that up too, because I mean, that's one of the things that, that we utilize, like for creating emails. We'll, you know, obviously form mm. inputs, there's variable data. And then what we'll do is we'll compile these different columns and create an email. And then we'll end up with like, you know, 100 emails and different sequences based upon the input values that came in from forms. So I mean, mm. like when you brought that up, I was just kind of like, yes, yes, sir. Yeah. yeah, it's the way to do it, right? Because you, yeah. you could do this manually, but the you see, here's one thing I've learned about being a successful entrepreneur. One of the most important commodities that we have mm. is decisions, mm. and it's the energy we use in decisions. And I mentioned Barack Obama again, but he comes up once more, and he said that you know every morning he, when he was a president, he used to have two boiled eggs for breakfast and somebody joked with him about it journalists and said where's the originality in that he said look you know every day i make thousands of decisions and Mm -hmm. one of those decisions is do i press the red button or not he said what you don't want is me wasting my decision energy on what am i going to have for breakfast Mm -hmm. so you see that with like mark zuckerberg you know wearing the same hoodie every day and so to your point about those emails every single email that you have to do manually is a decision I have to make a decision about what I'm going to write or where, to, if what is the URL I'm going to open to find mm-hmm. the content. You want to take all of that away because if, you, if you're using up your decision energy and decision fatigue is real, if you're using up your deci- decision energy on these small, inconsequential things, then, you know, by midday, just after lunchtime, you ain't got anything left. You're like dead. You're right about that. So, 
that's why we automate is to save that. And that is most important thing for an entrepreneur. Right. So I'm going into like, like a final words of wisdom. And I, I think I'm going to, every other episode, I've always asked for the general public or I've painted an avatar. And in this case, I'm going to be the user case, right? And okay. I'm, and I'm going to ask you, okay, I have a podcast, Boston Cage. And what words of wisdom would you give me? And I'm at that growth stage to where I have more content than I'm delivering. Okay. And what that looks like is like right now I'm on episode 50, but I've recorded 100 episodes. So I'm backlogged mm. by 50 episodes. What words of wisdom would you give me to utilize that content or to be more effective to getting the additional 50 episodes out a lot quicker? Okay. So you've got 50 out, you've got 50 in the can, and then you're, what's the problem that you're facing? What's the challenge? I don't necessarily think it's a challenge. I just like when I get, sometimes I do three, four episodes a day, right? So mm. I'm not going to release three or four episodes the next day. So by, by default, they're, they're stacking up. So what I've mm. learned is that, you know, as I'm interviewing people, I'm giving them access to the content. Like what we did with you, you wanted to record it. So now you have access to market it. But then I'm going to have to schedule this episode. And this episode is going to be scheduled at 105. And I'm only releasing one episode per week or just say two episodes per week. There's still going to be a period of time before the, the, the additional episodes are going to air. Mm. Okay. And so the problem is, is that what, that you've got all this content mm. months down the road before it comes out. Is that a problem though? I mean, what not was for the me, problem? Not, not for me. No. For me, for the, guests. I, I, for the guests. I see it as, okay, I have enough content to kind of create a legacy throughout, be able to, to, to create videos and vignettes and mm. audio snippets and transcriptions and books all on the content that I'm developing and it's good content. But for the guests, you know, potentially I'm looking at that their investment. They invest mm. an hour, sometimes an hour and a half. And then they may have to wait four or five months before this airs. So that's why I'm delivering them the content. Say, hey, you could take it. You could market, do whatever you want with it. And then here's mm. your set air date. So then you get two marketing strategies. You get your marketing strategy. And then we follow up with our official launch later on. Hmm. Yeah. Well, is it a problem for the guests, though? Some. So some, some that's the them. question. Yeah. Some, of them. some of them. Yeah, some of them. Okay. So um, why would it be a problem for them? Did they feel disappointed that they don't have it out straight away or well i think it's just more so excited the, about getting out and what's the yeah, deal i think it's more so the promotion so let's say for example uh, if i if i have a new book and you're promoting it and using my podcast as one of many mm. podcasts and and that book <laughs> i release it four months down the road you may be on your second book by then yeah <laughs> yeah well i mean okay so you give them the video to you that they can use and then remarket for their own purpose so that would be, I would then incentivize the guests to do that on their own volition. That if you give them as a follow-up, you can automate that as well, right? You could send them a link to Dropbox. Here's the raw MP3 file, the raw uh, video file. You go and do what you want with it. Mm -hmm. So that would be problem solved because I think a lot of guests, I mean, me personally, it doesn't bother me that we have to wait a few months for this episode. Mm -hmm. For me, one of the best things is I get to speak to you. And I know this will come out in time. Um, if it's time sensitive for a guest, though, that may be the best option is to say, right, here's the automation. Get your assistant to send a follow-up email. They can go and download it. And if they're really motivated to do it, they'll then go and use that content for their own use, right? 
mm-hmm. which I think is probably the most important thing for them, that they have content, mm-hmm. that they have s- some content that they can share with their network. So if, for example, like I'll take this video from today, mm-hmm. I'll snippet it myself and share it with my network, okay? Because that is me talking to my network. And then when it gets published on your audience, um, uh, when it gets published on your podcast, your audience is going to see it, right? Mm-hmm. So I don't see a problem uh, for, for me personally. So maybe I've misread that. But, you know, if that was, it, it, I would say maybe the, the issue is, is that not necessarily that you've got all these, pod, I mean, it's fantastic to have 50 front loaded into your podcast. You've got the pump primed for the next three or four months, right? Yeah. That doesn't that's that seems to be a nice problem to have mm-hmm. now the problem i think most podcasters face now is audience growth mm-hmm. that's that's a different matter right mm-hmm. and so the question would be it would increasing your cadence of the podcast that would also reduce your publishing backlog mm-hmm. would that also increase audience growth it may do it may not mm-hmm. you know so it's really what your objectives are with the podcast if your objectives are to meet people mm-hmm. to talk to them have a, a steady stream of content then you're winning right don't don't fix it if it ain't broke <laughs> totally totally I get, I get that so i mean in in that right this is say it's a spinoff on that question let's say i'm a new podcaster right mm. and like my problem obviously I'm, I'm i'm becoming more and more seasoned the more and more i do this it's, it's like a muscle right but let's say i'm a new podcaster coming out what words of insight would you give to a new podcaster stepping into this space what insight would you give to them? Mm. Well, firstly, any new podcast needs to define your audience avatar. This is an exercise we go through, whether you're a an individual podcaster or you're a corporate, mm-hmm. because brands will start from that position. What we mentioned earlier, this, this is what I want to talk about. And many entrepreneurs do this as well because for them it's a starting point and yes that's fine you can start like that because it gets you in the game and in many ways you have to get on the bike and start pedaling before you can turn it right that's the way it is with podcasts you've just got to get started but you have to define the audience avatar and if you were to listen to radio now radio is 100 years old right radio has been around since the golden age of audio the first one which is the 1920s and now this is the second one, 100 years later. Mm-hmm. But it's lasted 100 years because if you speak to any radio professional, if you speak to a host or a producer who's been in the game long enough, they'll tell you this, that the one thing that radio presenters do that podcast hosts don't do mm-hmm. is they speak to their audience. And when you listen to radio, it's like he's speaking to you. Mm-hmm. And interestingly... Radio presenters never say you guys or the audience. They always say you. So you at home, you listening, they're speaking to you directly. And I find podcasters tend to not do that. They tend to speak to a very vague group of people, not even think about those people. So once you define your audience avatar, many things fall into place. For example, what are they interested in? What are their pain points? What are their problems and frustrations? So if I'm a startup founder or or a small business owner or an entrepreneur, why do I listen to Boss Uncaged? It's because of you 
and what I feel you'll solve the problem for me that I'm facing, the frustrations that I have. So that's the, the questions we need to think about. What are their problems? What's the language that they use? And what is on top of their mind? What are they, what's bugging them at the moment? They have these concerns. You need to speak to those. So you may have, on this one hand, your key talking points, which mm -hmm. is, these are all the things I want to talk about. And on the other hand, you have the audience avatar, which is, this is what they are currently responsive to. Mm -hmm. And then there's this integration. Mm -hmm. On the one hand, your messaging. On the other hand, the keywords that you need to push for them to respond to that. So now it's a case of integrating the two, and that's really where you're mapping. You're, so you go from audience avatar, that's the first step. These are the people I'm speaking to, to the second point, mapping what I want to talk about to what they understand. So, you know, do they understand the terminology that you talk about, right? Mm -hmm. Because quite often, audience aren't operating at that sort of speed, right? So... Now people know about podcasts, so I can talk to them about podcasts. Mm -hmm. But if I talk to them about the digital transformation of communication, it's like, phew, like they're not interested. It's, it's BS to them, right? But that's the kind of speed that I'm operating at in my own mind, right? Mm -hmm. So it's an important part, that definition. So short answer to your question is start with the audience and then build it around them. And then think about how do you involve them in your programming? I don't literally mean phone-ins. Mm -hmm. Those days are gone. It's possible. But there are many other ways. Build an audience around them. Like talk to them. Get their questions. Get their feedback. Do the reader's mailbag. All that stuff. That's how you grow a podcast long-term. Because I'll put it to everybody listening now. If you're interested in starting a podcast, you'll find like episode five, episode six, the motivation starts to dip a little bit. The novelty wears off. And then you're realizing, why am I doing this? Oh. And then that's where people fade. And the numbers bear up as well when it comes to the pod fade is about episode five, episode six. So you've got to think about long-term community growth. How are you building a community? And that's exactly what radio does. Think about radio, phone-ins, mailbags. Mm. And the host would always go out into the community and do, you know, the phone, the, the show from the hospital ward or whatever. That's how they did radio, and that's how we should be thinking about doing podcasts today. Wow. Wow. I think that's definitely um, why I've called you the podcast boss to start off this episode, <laughs> right? <laughs> so, I'm, I'm proud of that. So, I mean, this I feel I've arrived. <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, you, you definitely lived up to that title, which I, which I knew you, you would. I mean, just by looking at your background and listening to you speak on other episodes, I knew that you was going to be able to fill in those blanks. So my next question is like, how could people get in contact with you? I mean, like what, like what profiles are you on? Like what's your website address? Yeah. I mean, if you're interested in podcast maps, the easiest place, sorry, if you're interested in podcasts, go to podcast maps. I'm ahead of myself there. So I, I, I do a podcast called podcast maps. So it's podcastmaps.com, which is a map for podcasts. It's a guide about what's happening in podcasts and where are we going? So it's forward-looking. So if you're interested in the bigger stories, the bigger picture about podcasts, go there. That also links to my personal website. You can go check me out there and the agency stuff as well. But that's the best starting point. It's the you are here map guide that you see in podcasting. Nice, nice. So I got a bonus question for you. Hmm. If you could spend 24 hours with anyone, dead or alive, 
uninterrupted for those 24 hours outside of your family, who would it be and why? Wow. I, I can't. Do I, I have many choices. Well, let's start with one and go from there. Uh, let me see. Robert Kennedy. Robert really? F. Kennedy. Bobby Kennedy. Yeah. He's a personal hero of mine. Um, because, I mean, not the early Bobby Kennedy, but the later one, who was a lot more reflective after his brother's mm -hmm. death. Um, because he was a, a fantastic storyteller and his mission as well. I mean, you know, he was one of the first politician to cross racial divides in America, mm -hmm. right? Um, even though he came from a privileged white family, you know, his popularity with African-Americans was huge mm -hmm. uh, because he was out there shaking their hands when no other politician would do it, right? Mm -hmm. And so him, I, I personally, you know, his brother is obviously the one everybody knows about. Um, Martin Luther King, I think, mm -hmm. is possibly one of the best storytellers of 20th century mm -hmm. and a true hero in every sense, you know, in the terms of what he stood for what he sacrificed and the change that he made and totally selfless as well. Mm. And I think people like him, they, they're once in a, a century that they come around. So I think we could have a good conversation, the three of us mm. on a podcast. Then the people like, you know, there are ones from history like Gandhi. I would love mm. to have time with from the same reason, just fascinated by them, mm. uh, these people. And then, you would throw in writers and poets mm -hmm. and all kinds of historical figures would just be fascinating. I, I, it would be endless. I would like to, I would like to put in that round table podcast, Oscar Wilde, mm -hmm. <laughs> the author, and then some musicians as well. I'd put in like Hendrix and wow. Steve Jobs. <laughs> yeah. And Bob Marley for sure would be, I think, an interesting conversation over dinner. Yeah, it'd be good. I'm sure that would be an interesting podcast for everybody to tune into. That would be my idea of if, if I died and went to heaven and they had like a recording studio <laughs> where they just had all the microphones set up, those would be the guys that I would sit with and just hang out and we'd have a beer and a chat. So how's it going? And it would be just open-ended conversation. Yeah. That's yeah, I can I totally to see do. it. I mean, you you painted a, a visual, and I, I want our audience to kind of stop and really think about that. It's kind of like the Knights of the Round Table, right? And he has musicians, <laughs> he has writers, he has politicians, and and he's sitting there being able to have this conversation with like legends of our time. That's definitely a hell of a picture to paint. Yeah, the top of the charts podcast, that one for sure. Nice, nice. So going into closing, man, it's, uh, it, it's, it's, I think you've asked me some great questions, but you know, I always give an opportunity near the end of my podcast and give the microphone to, to my guests to ask mm. me any off the script question that you would like. Okay. So I know you're a big fan of um, unfair advantages mm -hmm. and systems. What was your unfair advantage? As far as my, like for boss and cage? Yeah, you tell me. I think my my unique factor and unfair advantage in Boston Cage is that I've lived as an entrepreneur in multiple different disciplines, and I figured out how to talk to people like yourself and wear multiple hats. Like in this conversation, I, I'm switching between my multiple different disciplines, and I'm having an opportunity to talk to you mano a mano on the same accord. 
So if mm. I'm talking to a scientist, I love science. So I'll, I'll bring up things in that science language that allows me to relate to that person. If I'm talking to a, a doctor, I'm going to be able to relate because I worked in the medical field for a particular time in my career. Insurance, for example, rock climbing. So it's just being I lived a life that gives me the opportunity to have multiple different conversations on like terms that makes it easy for a listener to comprehend because I'm trying to figure out who you are. You're trying to figure out who I am. And then we're both telling this mess story that just becomes like a masterpiece. Hmm. I have a follow-up question. May I? Yeah. Yeah. The rock climbing. I'm fascinated by it. What would you need to be like to be successful at rock climbing? What is the, what do successful rock climbers know that oh, mortals don't know? I would I would think rock climbing is this thing that we call beta, and beta essentially is just information. So you may look at a, a, a particular person climbing the rock, and they may look effortless, right? They may make it look easy, and then you try and you fall on the first hole. Now, a hmm. part of that is building up grip strength and building up upper body strength, but it's not 100% that. It's more so technique. It's it's like a Rubik's Cube. It's like playing chess with a rock. And so you have to kind of think through the process. So the key in rock climbing is asking for that beta. It's seeing someone else do it without effort and asking mm. them, okay, in the crux, the hardest part of that climb, what did you do that I'm not seeing? And it may be something as simple as, oh, I lean back on my left arm versus holding with my right arm. Something as simple as that makes that transition more fluid to when you're reaching with your left hand than you would reach up with your right hand versus going from your right mm. to your left. And that makes all the difference in the climb. And the next thing you're, you're topping out, you're doing that climb like it was easy. And then someone else is going to come and ask you like, how the hell did you do that? So the, the step and repeat becomes, you become the coach and you're like, oh, you just do this. You reach with your left versus your right. And the beta just continues down the progression of the next climber to the next climb. Wow. And do you get it to that flow state where you're making those moves and you're not thinking? It's like you're, or you're very conscious at the time of that way you're going to put every single grip. I think it's a hybrid. So it's different styles of climbing. Like I'm more of a boulder, like, you know, so I, I like mm. without ropes. I like, you know, 20, 30 feet maximum height. If I fall, I land on a pad. So it kind of gives you the freedom to not have any abundance of anything harnessing you down and you can kind of climb and figure things out. Mm. And then when you let go, you're like, okay, am I, you have to be willing to commit to the fall or willing to commit to topping off that rock versus mm. a, a top rope climber. Obviously, a rope could snap and it'll be the end of your life. You're climbing something that's like Yosemite or something like that, right? Yeah, but yeah. in that, that's 100% endurance. You know, you're climbing to that magnitude of that height. It's, it's endurance. It's just building up mm. to that step and repeat, step and repeat. Much like business, it's 100% staying on the treadmill mm. and you keep running. You keep running. And eventually, you'll find little tricks of the trade on how to duck underneath the wind, right? Or, you know, if you're, you're, breathe through your nose versus breathe through your mouth. Just little things like that that you tweak and adjust. And as you do it more effectively, you become more proficient. I love it. I love the idea of the mastery. It's very challenging. It's addictive, isn't it? The idea, 100%. I mean, literally you are climbing as well, mm -hmm. but there's also the mental climbing of getting better and never, ever knowing enough. Yeah. It's, it's the same thing with sailing. Sailing is one of those things like, you know, I went for two sales this week and it was just, I went, I mm. went with a guy that I would view as a master sailor. He's been sailing for like 20, 30 years of his life. Mm. And even when we're on his boat, he's kind of like, he is still learning. Like and mm. think about, uh, I've took courses in sailing and even the guy that's the captain of the ship, he's been sailing for 40 years of his life. 
but there's mm. still n- nuances and new things that you could potentially learn. And that's why mm. I like it because even when you become great at it, it's like, you're never going to be the greatest. You're always going to have to keep learning and achieving and mm. overcoming the new obstacles as they present themselves. Mm. Yeah. Fascinating. I love it. I, I, when you speak to somebody who has a craft and mm. is learning something, which is technically very challenging, mm. you can just get off and listening to them talk about it. Even if you're not interested in it yourself, it's just mm. like fascinating. That whole idea, you can see the parallels between that and so many different things, like so many disciplines that the actual base level of all of it is the same. That challenge that we take on. Mm-hmm. And it's the challenge, isn't it, more than anything, that we do it for, as opposed to the actual activity. The actual activity becomes the 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 manifestation of that, right? Yeah, definitely. I think you're, you're nailing it. And I think it's a particular type of personality, because on one side of the coin, there's a genre of people that are compounded by fear, and they, instead of resisting the fear, they dive into the fear and they're like, I'm good. I'm going to stay in my safe zone. And then you mm. have the other side of the coin is kind of like, if fear is not part of the equation, then why am I even living? I'm not pushing my limits. I need to push my limits to grow. Mm. Yeah. Right? Yeah, myself. Yeah. It's cool. Well, I, I definitely appreciate, man, everything that you, you brought to the table today, Graham. I think you definitely took it to a high level. We talked about like your journey and I think just your journey in itself should be like a study of what life should be. And I definitely appreciate you bringing that to my audience today. Well, and you, you were the boss host today. <laughs> I think you've done a great job. You asked great questions. I definitely appreciate it. But I look forward to, to, you know, following you. I mean, like you were just talking about, like, the mapping podcast. I mean, I definitely wanted to kind of get into that. And, and I think this is the, the dawn of a fruitful relationship between I think we have so many common accords and so many likenesses. And even though that you're over in Singapore, I mean, it's only a breath away. So, Yeah, man. It's good. All right. S.A. Grant, over and out. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Boss Uncaged. I hope you got some helpful insight and clarity to the diverse approach on your journey to becoming an Uncaged Trailblazer. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, review, and share the podcast. If this podcast has helped you or you have any additional questions, reach out and let me know. Email me at ask at sagrant.com or drop me your thoughts via a call or text at 762 762- 233 boss that's 762-233-2677 i would love to hear from you remember to become a boss in cage you have to release your inner beast sa grant signing off listeners of boss in cage are invited to download a free copy of our host sa grant's insightful ebook become an uncaged trailblazer Learn how to release your primal success in 15 minutes a day. Download now at www.bossuncaged.com forward slash free book.